bestowed upon us that we could be called the children of God. Uh, what a glorious privilege we have in Christ. Thank you for that. Musicians that are now pretty much most of them on the stage are now going down to teach our kids uh, today. So thank you for your double service today. I'm um, entering into this uh, past week. I had every intention of moving from baptism uh, into talking about the Lord's Supper, since those are the two uh, main things that make up what we know as the ordinances of the church. Uh, however, I felt compelled, hopefully that was of the Spirit this week, uh, to change directions momentarily and uh, spend some time considering Mother's Day. And uh, since we are about to start a series, a uh, Summer in the Psalms series, uh, I was drawn to Psalms, and particularly Psalm 127. Now, for those of you who were hoping and just expecting on the edge of your seats today to talk about the Lord's Supper, we will do that uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, but I just wanted to spend some time in Psalm 127 today. You can go ahead and turn there if you would like. A couple things that I want to mention before we consider this psalm together is uh, Psalm 127 is in this collection of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, these are the psalms that uh, the pilgrims who were traveling to Jerusalem for the feasts and the festivals would recite as they made their way up to Jerusalem. And uh, also, Psalm 127 is what we know as a wisdom psalm. In other words, it gives us some of those basic instructions for how life is meant to be lived. Uh, we can kind of note that it's a wisdom psalm by the superscription that we find at the beginning of Psalm 127, attributing it to Solomon. Uh, Solomon, who was one of the wisest men who would ever live, uh, at least in, 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 in his wisdom, but he never really put much of that into practice in his life. Uh, but he did give us uh, some great Proverbs to consider, and certainly a great psalm that we can consider today. Psalm 127, I'm going to begin reading there in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep or rest. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man, we could add in, or woman, who fills his or her quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we can gather here today because of Christ, because of his blood, as we've just sang, and been encouraged. Father, we ask now your gracious blessing as we consider your truth. May it have a lasting impact on us. No matter what we bring in here today, may it have effect in the way we leave here today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. The first point I want us to note together today is this. We must trust God's providence. So we consider the first couple of verses here. The psalm opens with four somewhat parallel statements. Uh, the parallelism is most clear in those first uh, two statements that are found in verse 1. Remember, the psalms are, are Hebrew ancient poetry. And so they are filled with, with marvelous metric. Uh, they are filled with brilliant figures of speech and things that we can enjoy as we read these things. But the first statement made is this. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Notice the second statement that he makes. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. The parallels are clear. Both statements include an unless the Lord. Both statements include some sort of activity that's being done, building a house or keeping watch over a city. They both include a person that's involved in that activity, the builder or the watchman. And both of them have this potential outcome. They can be done in vain, in vain. And so what's the point that's not only being made here, but being emphasized because it is in parallel? The point is the Lord, Yahweh, must be involved in the building of a house and in the protection of a city for these activities to have meaning, for these activities to have purpose, for, for them to not be vain or futile or worthless or meaningless or false. The Lord must be involved in those activities. So the wisdom of this psalm is encouraging us to not only invite the Lord but to trust the Lord's necessary involvement in the day-to-day -day circumstances of our lives. Let's take the task of building a house and consider that for a moment. How, how can the Lord be involved in the building of a house? Uh, well, we've been in some preliminary discussions about a need for more space uh, for our church fellowship. Uh, for the different activities we do. And so we've been talking about needing to build an additional house for that space. How would the Lord be involved in that? Is that something that we just begin to pray about and then one Sunday morning we pull in the lot and like manna from heaven, uh, there's a new building sitting over here that we can enjoy. Wouldn't that be nice? No, we, there's, there's work that has to be done, right? There's, there's planning that goes into that. There's financial things that have to go into that. There's all sorts of things that must be done. So how is the Lord involved then? Well, let me let Alan Ross uh, explain this. He says, we, we must say that the Lord builds the house if, and he gives us a few things to consider. If one, the people build it by faith, in the Lord's provision for it. Two, in accordance, it's built in accordance with his will. Three, it's built in a way that is pleasing to him, is honest, is fair. Four, it's built dedicating it to his use and his purposes. And five, by giving glory to him for the accomplishment in the end. Ross says, when these things happen, then the faithful may say that the Lord built the house. Inviting him in, trusting him. As for watching over the protection of the city, one can live wisely, we can live as cautiously as we can in this world, but we have to acknowledge that it is ultimately God alone who protects us. 
It is ultimately God alone who sustains us. It's ultimately God alone who's keeping our hearts beating right now and our our lungs breathing right now. We recognize his protection in the day to day. And so whether you're building a house or protecting the house, we must ultimately trust God's provision. That is trusting his sovereign involvement, his providence, his oversight over all things in life. That's what it means for us to live by faith, to trust that he knows what he's doing in the day-to-day moments of life. But before I get ahead of myself and before I get ahead of the psalmist, we need to jump back in and consider the next parallel statements that are made. He says, it is vain. There's that word connecting us to what he's just talked about. He says, it's vain that you rise up early and you go late to rest. Uh, This is known in in figurative language as a merism. Rising early is vain, and on the other end of the spectrum, going to bed late is vain as well. And so whether you're trying to extend your day by starting it early or trying to extend your day by going to bed late, he says it is vain on either side. And you may be thinking, what does Solomon have against being industrious? Why why is he so against us doing the work and the labor? This master of Proverbs, hasn't he ever heard that the early bird is the one who gets the worm? I mean, that's a great proverb. What does he have against me staying up late? I do my best work late at night. That's when my mind is sharpest. Now, I'm I'm speaking very figuratively. My mind is never sharp. I may get like five minutes in the mid-morning, somewhere like that. But some could argue the point. Listen, Solomon's issue is not against being industrious. His issue is with our motivation. What is motivating us to rise early? What is motivating us on the other end to stay up late? We've got to look at the next phrase to get an understanding. He says, eating the bread of anxious toil. So he says, it's vain to rise early or to stay up late working due to an anxious heart, a heart that's filled with worry, being motivated by that anxiety to do so. In other words, if my food is produced or provided by way of anxious toil, by fear or by worry, then something is amiss. Something is off in my life because I'm not trusting in the Lord to provide for me. I'm not trusting in the Lord to provide for my family. I'm not trusting in the Lord to build the house. I'm not trusting in the Lord uh, to protect and to care for me. I'm not trusting in the Lord uh, to providentially watch over my life. It's all on me. I must control the day. I must get up early to make ends meet. I must stay up late to make ends meet. That's a life that's devoid of God. That's a life that is lived in vanity. This kind of anxiety, as many of us know very well, it kills the body. It destroys our spirit. But there is a better way. Notice the last phrase mentioned in verse 2. He gives to his beloved sleep. The New English translation puts it this way, and I think this is a way that it could be understood as well. He says, yes, he provides for those whom he loves, even when they are asleep. Even while you sleep at night. I remember a a pastor one time 
saying that one of the most humbling things for him to do every day was when he would lay his head on his pillow at night to pray the prayer, God, I did not get my to-do list done today, but you did. And though I have to sleep in this moment because my body is forcing me to do so, you don't. We recognize that he is the one who gives us that rest. To this point, one commentator writes, in other words, those who place their complete trust in the Lord may rest assured that He knows their need, that He will provide for them, and that agonizing and laboring in fear and in anxiety will not get any more done than what He chooses to give. The life of faith that rests in Him it may be diligent and industrious, but will be free of restless anxiety. Friends, we can find rest in this life when we trust in God's providential care for us. I don't know who needs to hear that today. I imagine many of us need to be reminded of that today. But not only does the life of faith trust in God's providential care, it also recognizes God's daily blessings. This is what verse 3, 4, and 5 encourage us to consider. In this section of the psalm, the psalmist slightly pivots to remind us of the blessing of children. Children are a prime example of Yahweh's faithful provision of a meaningful life, a life that is not in vain. This is why the psalmist uses this exclamatory marker to begin uh, verse 3. He says, lo, or he says, behold. He says, pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. It connects the two halves of the psalm. Behold, children are a heritage. They're an inheritance from Yahweh. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. Notice again the parallelism. Children, fruit of the womb, heritage, reward. He's paralleling himself again. But we have to be honest because as we read the psalmist here, what he writes so often we don't receive as true, especially in our present culture, not as true. Because in the ancient world, uh, where lifespan was short, infant mortality rate was extremely high. Many children were an incredible blessing in an agrarian society. Many children were an incredible blessing uh, to a family that could sometimes lose children at a very quick rate due to plague, due to sickness, and many other things that could frustrate them. It's different in our society. You know, we only have four kids in our family. I, I grew up with a family of four. My wife grew up with a family of four, and, and that's considered big. Uh, I know some of you have more than four kids, and, and I can't imagine the looks that you get uh, when you go into Walmart and the grocery store to think, when do they stop? When are they gonna, getting out of the car? It's like a clown car, something like that. Uh, when you walk through and you have a quiver full, uh, people take notice of that. But what, what is the benefit of children according to the psalmist? He uses a couple of words here that are important for us to understand. He calls them an inheritance, a gift. He calls them a reward. And some days, I know exactly what he means. Because some days, uh, being a parent is a beautiful thing. 
when you're, you're gathered around the table and you're eating a meal together and everybody's getting along in that rare moment, every star is aligned and there's joking and there's laughter and, and there's no bickering and fighting. It, it's a beautiful thing and I completely understand the, the, the gift and the reward that's being mentioned here, but not every day is like that. Some days there's fighting within and, and fighting without. Uh, there's tears there's, there's broken toys. Uh, there's all sorts of things that are happening. And on those days, it doesn't seem like much of a reward. But let me point out something about this word. It really is a beautiful word when it says they are a heritage. They're an inheritance. When you're given the gift of an inheritance, it's something that is being entrusted to your care. It's something that someone else has passed on to you, has given to you. And so by way of this psalm, mom and dad, God is reminding us that our children are gifts from him. That they are, are good and our, our faithful God has entrusted them into our care. Meaning we're responsible to train them up in righteousness. We're responsible to train them up in wisdom. We're, we're not to squander the inheritance that's been given to us, but to nurture it so that it might be passed along to another generation and then to another generation beyond that. In this way, our children are a reward. One of the passages that I've always enjoyed as a, as a pastor is in 1 Thessalonians where Paul asks them, he says, for, for what is our joy? And what is our reward before Jesus Christ? And, and he answers the question, he says, is it not you? He, he understood that his, his reward in the ministry were those who had come to faith, those churches that he had been able to invest in. And I think, what a great text to even help us understand his parents. The joy of parenting. The reward of parenting. It's the investments that we make into our children. In the final two verses, the psalmist likens children to arrows. And I have heard this applied and, and probably misapplied many different ways over the years, but I, I really do think Ross gets it right when he writes this. He says, just as a warrior would feel safe with arrows in his hand, so would the parent who had children who could defend the family honor, possessions in court or in business. That's the context we see. See, arrows were critical weapons in the ancient world. Um, archers were critical to the success of any army in the ancient world. And here the psalmist makes the point that the blessed person, the person uh, who is in right standing with God, the person who is satisfied and content is the person who has a quiver full of arrows. He goes on to say that, that this person, this is the final verse of the psalm, will not be put to shame by his enemies in the city gate. Now, you may remember from other studies that we've done in the ancient world, the gate of the city was the place where business took place. It was the place uh, where decisions were made as far as uh, what would happen in communities. And so the elders would gather at the city gate to discuss matters. 
And so it was the place where they would uh, gather together. And he says, the blessed person is the one who has children who, if necessary, can and will defend their honor in the gates of the city if others rise to slander them. See, in these final verses, the psalmist wants us to recognize and give praise for the blessing of children. Let me share a couple of implications that we can consider from Psalm 127. Many of us labor and we toil and we work motivated by anxious hearts. Worry drives us. Fear drives us. We worry that we won't be able to pay the bills or to buy the groceries we need. We won't have enough for retirement when that day or if that day ever comes. And so that fear drives us to work longer, to, to maybe work harder. And in, in doing so, we feel the sting of the curse. We, we feel the pain and, and the toil, as he says in the text, it's anxious toil and labor. It becomes overwhelming. The, the same word he uses describing this anxious toil is the same word that God used in Genesis 3 when he said, uh, Eve, you're going to have toil and pain in labor. And Adam, you're going to work and it's going to be uh, toilsome. It's going to be anxious work. He's describing the effects of the fall. And he says, when that's the kind of labor that we see, something is off. For many, we can work a long day and we can be exhausted physically, mentally. We'll lay our head down on the pillow at night and you would think by sheer exhaustion of all of the labor, we'd go lights out quick, but we don't, do we? We lay there and we worry and we fear. And the anxiety continues to grow and continues to feed us into all sorts of scenarios. Friends, we put in the work of building the house. We, we pay the watchman. We still worry, though. We're still full of fear. Why is this? Because unless the Lord is involved, it's vain. Unless we invite him in, it's vain. Faith in our God is meant to lift us up above the anxieties of this world. Faith in our God is meant to help us to rise above worry and fear. Faith in our God is what's meant to motivate our labor and our work in the day to day. Do you trust the providential hand of God to bless you in the building of your house? Do you trust the, the providential loving hand of God to protect you? Do you trust the providential hand of God to provide for you and provide for your family? Working is not wrong. Being, being protective and wise is not wrong. But not trusting God with your work and with your protection is wrong. And that's where the psalmist wants us to make this correction. This is exactly what Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, you worry where your food's going to come from. You, you worry where your clothes are going to come from. And he says, don't I clothe the fields with flowers? Don't I feed the birds? 
And don't I love you more than I love these? Do you think I won't take care of you? Do you think I won't provide for you? Don't be anxious. But instead, what does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Just trust me. Live the life of faith that I call you to live. Remember that this is the God who did not spare his own son. That's what it says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him also freely give us everything that we need in this life? If he's given us Jesus, what more does he have to give to prove that he cares for you? That he's looking out for you? There's nothing more he can give. There's nothing greater that he can give. He calls us to trust in him. We have to trust him. I'd like to put it this way. We have to invite him in. You see, the, the building of a house, the protection of the city, those, those are the day-to-day -day things of life. That's why the psalmist uses them. Those are, those are the circumstances of the day-to-day. -day. And in the circumstances of our day-to-day, -day, whether we are building a house or driving down the road or whatever we're doing, we are meant to invite the Lord in. And so when the deadline at work is quickly approaching, invite him in. When, when your eyes are about to bleed because you have studied for this test over and over and over again and your, your anxiety continues to grow about the test, invite him in. Remind yourself of his providential care for you. When you're planning to build a house, when fear overwhelms you, invite him in. A couple of weeks ago, I find my mindset is changing in my older age, and uh, it's, it's somewhat terrifying sometimes, but uh, comical as well. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we got our, our shot for uh, the vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson one and done, and it made me and Faith both incredibly sick uh, on a Saturday. And uh, I even had texted the guys and said, you may want to just have something ready in your pocket. Uh, but we were able to, to get over that. But that next week, I got some sort of stomach bug, right, in addition to that. And, and I was laying in bed. I can't remember if it was a Friday night or Saturday night. And I was, just felt this sharp pain in my abdomen. And, and I had read that the Johnson & Johnson shot uh, could, could cause blood clots in one in like 8 million people. And I lay there at night thinking, I'm the one in 8 million. <laughs> you know how your mind goes at night. I'm laying in bed thinking... I'm going to be dead by the morning. There's a blood clot in my abdomen, and I'm done. And uh, it's funny, I was recounting that to, to Nathan Miracle, who's in the medical field, and he said, man, you ever do that again, just call me no matter what time. He said, I just want to calm you down. <laughs> at that point, you're welcome to call me. Those fears, right? Those, those phobias can become overwhelming in those moments. What do we do in that moment? We remember the providential care of our God. And we invite him in. We remind ourselves, and that's what I had to do that night as I laid there. God, if this is, me, if this is it, this is it. But I just want rest tonight. I don't want to lay here in anxiety. 
I don't want to worry. And we invite him in in those particular moments. Let me make this point as well, since we're right on the heels of considering that Romans 8 verse. Unless the Lord saves, your efforts are in vain. I'm just kind of writing my own verse to this psalm. Because many of us go through life with this anxious worry that I've got to be better. I've got to do more good things than I do bad things. Or God is not going to be pleased with me. And that's not the gospel. That's not the good news that we've been learning. That's, that's the false news. We'll never be good enough. And, and no matter how uh, much you work and, and no matter how many sacrifices you make for the Lord, it's not enough. There's only one way of salvation, and his name is Jesus. So unless he saves, all of your work is in vain. Today, if you're putting your trust in all of the things that you're doing, good, bad, whatever, turn from yourself and turn to Jesus. Put your trust in the work that he accomplished on the cross and by way of the empty tomb on your behalf. Cry out to him today and he will save. But today is Mother's Day and I want to make a few points here. First thing we see from the psalm is that moms and dads should recognize the blessing of our children. Sometimes that's harder to do than others. I understand. But we do recognize the blessing. The greater context here is to recognize all the blessings that, that this faithful, good God provides for us. But for some reason, the psalmist turns our attention to children specifically. He could have gone many different directions with this psalm, but he chooses to highlight and focus on the blessing of children. I recognize that for some, Mother's Day is a painful day. And that can be for many reasons. Uh, sometimes infertility makes Mother's Day a painful day. Maybe you haven't been able to have children. And I would encourage you with as much grace and, and empathy as I can to, to recognize even in that the providential care of God in your life. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you or he doesn't care for you. It means he's good. He's sovereign. And we put our trust in him no matter what, what path he takes us down. For some, Mother's Day is especially difficult because you mourn the loss of children. We often hear it said and say ourselves that that's not the way life is intended to be. It seems quite backwards. Many of you have prayed uh, for, for our good friends Nathan and Katie Beal just a couple months ago. Their baby died in utero. I texted Nathan this morning because I knew this would be an especially difficult Mother's Day and, and he reminded me in a response text that this was the baby's due date as well. Penny was supposed to be born today. It's a difficult Mother's Day for the Beale family. I challenge you to pray for them. Sometimes it's difficult because our moms aren't here anymore. And we miss that. 
I saw a comment made this morning that there's really two prayers that we can pray on Mother's Day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, or come, Lord Jesus. Because for some, it's a difficult day. And we want to acknowledge that and we want to recognize that. For those who do have children, remember that today, they're an inheritance. They're a gift that God's entrusted to you. Don't squander the time that you have, but we're to instruct and bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord to the best of our abilities. I am increasingly thankful uh, for some of the ministries that we have here at the church that help in that. The the primary responsibility lies on you, parents. We're we're never going to pull back from that. We understand it's primarily your responsibility, your care. You minister and teach your kids far more than anybody will ever do in this building. But I'm so thankful for those who teach our kids downstairs. I'm so thankful for our Awana clubs where our kids are learning scripture. They're being engaged to consider God's word. I am so thankful uh, for Josh and Jesse and the work that they put in uh, to our students and teaching them week after week, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to scripture, answering their questions no matter how hard or absurd they are, digging into God's word to help them gain understanding. Church, we must continue to do better at teaching our kids. One of the statistics that I came out recently is that for the first time in the history of our nation, those who would claim to have a connection to a church has fallen below 50%. That's pretty significant for us as a country. Those who would claim to have any connection to a church, that's people who are simply saying, I want nothing to do with church or religion. It's now greater than 50% who say that. We must be diligent as we bring our kids up to know who Christ is. And so let's continue to do so to the best of our ability. And I just want to say this, moms, from what I see, you're doing a great job. I love our moms here at Meadowview Baptist Church. Uh, Please be encouraged in that. Being a mom is hard. The work is never done. Um, There's always more that can be done. You know, I can can come home early or even stay home for a day off and and I can do the dishes and I can try to sweep the floor and I can do laundry and I can do all those things and and think, oh yeah, Faith's going to love this. She can come home and sit in the chair. And she doesn't. She finds something else that she can do. I'm like, I miss that and that and this and that. Okay, the the work is never done. And I know some of you fear sometimes that you're not good enough. And that you're going to do something that's going to scar your kids for life. (laughs) Or you're not going to have the questions or the answers to the questions that they ask. And so let me remind you to never let anxiety be your motivator in being a mom. Don't let fear be what drives you in your parenting. That's right. Even in parenting, we must trust the providence of God. Do you see the connection now? Don't be anxious as parents. Don't be anxious in building your house, but don't be anxious in raising your kids. Trust 
the providence of God. Invite him in to those particular moments of difficulty. For those of you who have kids who have wandered away from Jesus, you too must invite him in. Trust his providential care in the hand in your child's life. Know this. He loves them far more than you ever could. He cares for them far more than you ever could. And so invite him into those moments of, of pain and difficulty. One final word for kids, even adult kids, right? We find a bit of instruction in this psalm, and it's not a direct command to honor your father and your mother that we find elsewhere in Scripture, yet that is the instruction that we see at the conclusion of the psalm. Children are arrows that are meant to protect. These children are, are weapons to protect and to care for their parents. We're meant to go to the city gate and to, to fight for the honor of our parents if that is necessary. How do we do that? How do we honor our parents? We'll ask it more specifically today. How do I honor my mom today? There's a couple things. Maybe they need defended. Maybe you've got a sibling that's been bad-mouthing mom. And you have the opportunity to just, in love and in care and in concern, step in and say, it's not true. And come to their defense in the gate of the city. Rise up and honor them. I'm not saying any parent is perfect. But I am saying they're worthy of honor, just as Scripture says they are. Two, maybe today, and I hope you would at least do this, offer a thank you. I called my mom this morning at like 8.30 in hopes that I would beat all of my siblings and be the first one to say Happy Mother's Day. She already had some messages on her phone, she said, so I might not have won that, but just say thank you. One of the things I said is I just left her a message. I said, you're probably getting ready for church. Thank you for being the one who got me ready for church for all those years growing up, even when I didn't want to go. It was mom who was there hounding me. Get your pants on, boy. But maybe you can't say thank you. Maybe your mom's already gone. So today I would encourage you, you can bring honor by sharing her story. Take some time today, whether it's with family or a friend, and talk about your mom. Share the investments and the sacrifices that she made. We can still give honor to whom honor is due even if they're not able to enjoy the meal with us. Continue to pass on that legacy that God has given to you in your mom. I ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Maybe it is a prayer of thanksgiving. And you have reason right now to just say thank you, God, for the parents, for the mom that you brought into my life the one that you entrusted me to. Maybe it's a prayer of thanks for your own kids. Maybe it's a prayer of commitment to be a better kid. Maybe it's a prayer of commitment to be a better mom, a parent. 
Maybe you just came in this room and you were filled with anxiety. And you need to invite the Lord in. Whatever that decision is today, now is the time to pray that prayer. Now is the time to cry out to the Lord as, as John led us in singing, to boldly approach the throne. I want to give you a moment to pray whatever prayer you need to pray. And then I'll pray for us together. Father, we rejoice in your care for us in that while we were sinners, Christ dies for us. We were the ones who wandered away and you are the loving, gracious God who chases us down. Because you love us. Help us to trust that. Help us to trust you in the day-to-day. -day. Help us to trust you with our kids. Help us to uh, recognize the blessing of our kids. Help us to, uh, to, to be as diligent as we can be, not motivated by fear or anxiety, but by your goodness as we invest and teach our kids what it is to follow you. Now, there's a lot of different things and ways in which you can speak today and I just pray spirit that you would continue to challenge us to be doers of your word and not just hearers thank you for these truths we pray asking these things in Jesus name amen